Good morning, everybody. Glad to be back. I've been gone for three weeks, and because of COVID and people moving in the summer and coming back, I feel like it's a reunion and meeting new people every Sunday, and I have three weeks to catch up with. So if you're new, please come say hi after the service. I love getting to know who's here at our church. Um, but it's great to be together. I want to give one little plug for something that's happening this week. It's really important. We're having what we call a vision night here at Cornerstone. Um, there's different options for you to be a part of at least one of them. Really, you only need to be a part of one of them. But um, on Wednesday and Thursday night, we're going to be having a meeting here. Um, and we will also be streaming the Wednesday night meeting live so you can sign up for that. But uh, we'd ask you, if you have not yet and you plan to come, go on our website, RSVP, because we have some resources that we want to send out beforehand. But as uh, an elder team, we're wanting to communicate some changes that are taking place and a decision that we've made together regarding um, like our board and leadership involving women. And it's a, just a big deal. And the reason we're not spending a ton of time on Sunday mornings for that is because it takes more time than we have in 30 minutes to go through uh, all of those details. And so we're wanting to give it the time that it needs. And that is what we'll be doing on the vision night. And so if Cornerstone's your home, um, I just encourage you to come. These vision nights are important for us. Um, we've used them throughout the, the years to introduce new things. We shared Dream Boulder over a vision night. Last summer, we used a vision night to share our plans for reopening after the church had been closed for a couple months. And so they don't happen very often, but when they do, it's because they matter, all right? So I wanted you to know about that and hear that from me. Uh, but today, I want to get into my message, and we're going to talk about the subject of vulnerability today. And because she's now the unofficial expert, it's hard to not talk about vulnerability without talking about Brene Brown. Any Brene Brown fans in the room? All right, a few. Okay, that's good, because she's everywhere, and um, whatever I share that you think comes from her, we can just say it comes from me. All right, that's what we'll do today. But I do want to give her some credit. She, she's amazing, and in 2010, uh, she really got on the board, or uh, kind of moved into the spotlight, and when she shared a TED Talk, TED Talks are these short talks by idea leaders that are, are shared on the internet. They're shared for free, and it's just a great way to find out things just about life and leadership and uh, just the human connection, all of these things. But she shared a TED Talk called The Power of Vulnerability, and 58 million people have watched that, that video. It's the fourth most watched TED Talk in history. It's called The Power of Vulnerability. That's interesting because when you think about being vulnerable, that certainly can sound very risky to people because what we're doing when we're being vulnerable, as she describes it, is we're exposing ourselves relationally. We're letting people in to see something that's happening. Now, one of the reasons I think the, the message that she shared and just the subject of vulnerability, and by the way, Jesus talked about it all the time, and we're going to get to his words in a moment, uh, the reason that it strikes a chord with people is because we all have this common experience of dealing with shame. And shame is one of those things that makes it very, very hard to be seen by other people, to be exposed relationally, as she would describe. But without vulnerability, there is no connection. There's no relational connection. And one of the things we've been trying to say here at Cornerstone and connect these ideas is there is no joy without relationship, without connection. Joy, the thing that we all want. The, the way to describe the end of the story, God's kingdom is described as endless, exceptional joy. That's what heaven is like. 
Joy is the result of someone else loving you back and you having someone to love and someone smiling at you, someone glad to be with you, a connection that takes place. Reconciliation, forgiveness after there's been some estrangement. Joy is the result of connection. And so I think the reason her message of vulnerability is so important is because there is no connection without vulnerability. And there's two levels to think of it. There is no connection and it's hard to experience joy in life without us being vulnerable with God, but it's not meant to just stop there but we're meant to be vulnerable with one another. But as we'll see, the order of things actually does matter. We first go to God so that we can also go to others. Here's some of my favorite quotes from Brene Brown talking about vulnerability. She says, daring greatly means the courage to be vulnerable. It means to show up and be seen, to ask for what you need, to talk about how you're feeling, and to have the hard conversations. Those things that we often avoid because they're just uncomfortable or we're afraid, all right? It takes, it's a dare. It's a, it's a daring move. It's, it takes courage. She also says this, spiritual connection and engagement is not built on compliance, which is really important to say in a church because there are a lot of people that grow up thinking this is about keeping the rules or fitting into some social standard or social norms. It is not at all. It's not about compliance. It's the product of love and belonging and vulnerability. That's helpful when you think about vulnerability today. Belonging and love. Think of those three things together. Because vulnerability has a product. It has the product of connection. It has the product of healing. It has the, power, the product of power. All of these things occur. When we choose to hide ourselves, what happens is we actually get sick and we find ourselves disconnected from ourselves, other people, and God, and we actually have it a more difficult time dealing with the hardships of life because we find ourselves in a weak place. And so one of the things that we're doing during this series, it's called the Upside Down Kingdom. We're contrasting certain ways the world lives or things that we learn or grow up learning or grow up observing. This is what it means to be human. We're contrasting that way, those currencies, with the way of the kingdom of God and God's currencies. And often what God is promoting is actually upside down. It seems crazy. And so today, I'm not contrasting uh, vulnerability with pride. I'm gonna be a little more gracious to us I'm gonna contrast it with something that's very natural for all of us, which is self-protection. See, the way of the world is to protect ourselves, and there's nothing wrong with having boundaries and protecting ourselves. But when the protection comes because we are willing to hide things, there is no protection. That is a dangerous road. In fact, our weaknesses, our struggles, our sins in the hands of God, shared with God, is the safest place for those things. But the world says you protect yourself by managing your secrets, managing your struggles. And so Brene Brown described vulnerability as exposure. Today, I'm going to describe vulnerability as a relational characteristic. It is being relationally open and honest with God and with other people. So vulnerability is to be relationally open and honest with God and other people about the things that are going on in our lives, the things we struggle with. And I could have picked a lot of passages. We're gonna to get to the Beatitudes here. But here's an image that I want you to hold in your mind as you think about vulnerability. It's one that Jesus used and his disciples picked up on and they used it over and over again. It's called walking in the light. Certain things thrive 
grow, increase in darkness. Likewise, certain things thrive and grow and increase in the light. Our sin in darkness increases. It makes us sick. It takes a hold of our life. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you've gotten so far down the road, some behavior, maybe at the time you didn't call it sin, but looking back, you could say certainly was sin. It was me choosing myself over others and God. But you look back and you say, because it was hidden, it just got its grips in me and it controlled me. And all of a sudden, I didn't know who I was. How about the shame that comes from rejection or abuse? See, the natural way is to say protect ourselves. But in the darkness, you know what shame does? It increases. Shame always needs replaced with something else that says you're not bad. So in the light, we bring our dysfunctions. <clears throat> we bring our sin. We bring our struggles, our grief. Some of the things are our fault, some are not. But they're all the, the shadow part of our lives. We use this illustration. We all have a shadow. Can't get away from it. But our shadow brought into the light leads to connection and healing and strength. So on the far side of doing the difficult thing of being vulnerable, God has amazing things for us. All right, so let me get to the passage. And so we have the illustration of walking in the light, all right? And I want to go to some of Jesus' words. So we're in a series on the kingdom of God, and we thought it would be a mistake not to go to the Sermon on the Mount, at least for part of this series. And so I want to take you back to the Beatitudes. We come here about once a year. We listen to the Beatitudes. This is the most famous teaching ever given. No one has ever said wiser things than what Jesus says here. And they are, I mean, part of the wisdom is they're just so short and clear and to the point. But I want you to think about walking in the light, and I want you to think about what it means to be open and honest relationally, to be vulnerable, how being vulnerable allows these blessings that Jesus is putting forth in front of people as an invitation to be possible. When Jesus is going through this list of things, he's saying this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, but this is what he's doing for us. He's saying this is an invitation into blessing into fullness, into joy, into peace, into healing, into power. All of those ways that God blesses his people as we walk with him, these are the ways into that. And vulnerability is a key part of many of these beatitudes. All right, so Matthew chapter five, I'm gonna read each one and describe them as we go. Starts off with the most open uh, invitation that a person could have. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not saying here, <clears throat> excuse me, blessed are the poor, physically poor. His heart is with them, but there is no blessing in being physically poor. And part of the good news of the gospel is that someday that will end. Jesus is describing a different type of poverty here. He's describing a poverty of spirit. The type that says, there are certain things I cannot do for myself. There are certain struggles that I cannot try hard enough. I cannot find the, the right plan. There are certain things that a book will not help me with. At the end of the day, there are certain things that, that, that I am absolutely empty, poor, without resource that I can handle. 
And Jesus is saying when a person gets to that place that they're so vulnerable that they can say, there is so much weakness and inadequacy in me in certain areas that I actually need God. He said, then you are blessed. One of the reasons why faith in Jesus is so hard for modern people today is because we're told our entire life that we're enough on our own, that we can figure it out on our own. And I'm not saying that our value is ever in question. It never is to God. But we're told all the time that if we just try hard enough, we get trained enough, that we get the, you know, the, we, we read the right book, as I mentioned, that's so popular today. We go to the right training that we can figure it out. But there is a reason that Jesus hung on a cross. There's a reason forgiveness had to be offered. And that is because we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves from our own dysfunctions. We cannot save ourselves from the consequences of sin. We can't do it. We are poor in spirit. We are bankrupt. I don't know if you've ever been in this place. Kind of humble to say it's only happened to me a few times. Should happen more than that. Told this story many times, but um, I mean, I was on empty. I was a young dad, a young pastor, a young husband. My wife was ready to divorce me. I went away on a mission trip, acting all spiritual. I'm sitting in the courtyard of this hotel in Mexico, and I finally get to the place with God that I said, I have nothing to offer healing this marriage, nothing. I've tried everything. I am giving up. I am done. And that attitude led to, I need you. I need help. And the thing is, what changed in that moment is God was always there ready to resource Elise and I. But my pride and me thinking that I could figure things out on my own was keeping me from the blessing of God bringing healing in my life. And that vulnerable moment in Mexico, can picture it today, sitting the chair I was in, where I was at, who was in the courtyard, that vulnerable moment changed my life. Because I got to the place I said, I can't deal with this on my own. Vulnerability was a must. Psalm 139 often goes with Matthew chapter five, verse three. It says, search my heart, God. Search me, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Often God has to show us the places that we're bankrupt. One reason I love hanging around people who are in recovery is because they understand this principle. Like you really don't go through the recovery process unless you get one of those early principles that says, I, I have nothing to offer myself to recover to, for my healing. I need someone else's help. I need God's help. I need someone else's plan, someone else's power. They understand poverty of spirit. They understand vulnerability. Here's another place of vulnerability, verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is a little easier today for modern people to share our grief and our sorrow, but this can also be difficult. Blessed is the person who's aware of the brokenness in the world. Blessed is the person who's aware of the brokenness in their own life that's willing to share that with God and with other people. Brokenness is everywhere. It touches all of our lives. Sometimes in a very close and intense way. 
There are, are uh, men and women right now in the room who are dealing with the grief of a miscarriage. And it's just a secret that's being kept on the inside. And even that vulnerability hasn't yet been shared with God about the grief. Some of you are grieving the loss of, of a once hopeful relationship. Some of you are missing friends after a move or a change or after the chaos of COVID. Some of you are getting older. Some of us, I should say, are getting older. Have you noticed the gray in my beard? I haven't grown my beard out in a year, and this entire summer I just keep saying, yikes. But we become aware of our limits. There's grief with getting older. There's grief everywhere. Vulnerability opens us up, helps us be honest with God and with other people about the things that we're dealing with, to grieve the brokenness in the world. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Healing. Verse five, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You might not think that uh, being meek is about being vulnerable. You know, meekness is controlled strength that's restrained, restrained strength that's sent in the right direction. So every one of you in this room has a certain degree of power and strength. Some of you have authority at work and in your job or in your family. Some of you have certain positions. We all have a degree of wealth. Wealth is distilled power in our world today. It allows us to change things. We have certain connections. Some of you are very physically powerful. All of those things are meant to be expressed in a meek way, which is not a weak way. Now, here's what often happens with people. We are embarrassed of the glory that's been put inside of us. We're embarrassed or afraid to show the gifting that God has given us or the vision that God has given us. There are many people that never share what it is that God has done in them or is doing in them or the power that he's uh, expressing in the world through them. And so to even step forward and say, I can do that, or here is something beautiful about my story, or here is something beautiful that I have to offer, even that can take vulnerability. Why? Because you're being seen in a new way. I wonder how many people, just with those that are in the room right now, are missing out in what God is doing because they're just afraid of putting themselves out there and saying, yeah, I can do that. Verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. This means those that burn inside for the things that Jesus burns for. They don't burn for religion or moralism, but they're constantly seeking God's heart, and so they live a life exposed. They're continually repenting and growing and becoming. You know, the word for, for goodness in the scripture is this idea of that we're becoming good. There, there is, uh, you know, there's not perfection to achieve but we're seeking righteousness. God is bringing out his goodness in our life. And so we're constantly in this place of being open for God doing more in our life. Vulnerability is a key part of that. If you want, if you want, to want more of what God wants, staying open about your own desires right now will help you do that. Verse seven, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. So often we focus in here on being a, a merciful person because that's where the blessing comes. 
you know, showing mercy towards other people, not getting even, not keeping score, being a person that shares what God has given to us. But the vulnerability that's required to receive from God, to actually receive mercy, is obvious. Once again, we get to this place where we say, you have something that I can't get on my own. This relationship can give me something that no other relationship can give me. God, there are certain things that only you can share with a person. I'm coming to you. Verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Similar to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're open to God rearranging the priorities of our life. Dallas Willard is a quote that I've remembered for years. says, when God comes in and we give him control, he rearranges the furniture of our life. A lot of times he doesn't remove it, he just rearranges it. We're open and vulnerable to being led by God. Verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. We spent a whole series on this last fall. So needed in our culture today. But peacemaking requires vulnerability all along the way. Requires vulnerability to go to another person and share how they've harmed you, doesn't it? You know why that's difficult and scary? Because we can be rejected. They might harm us worse. They might reject us. It takes vulnerability to take responsibility when someone comes to us and says, you did this to me. It takes vulnerability to say, yeah, I was wrong. I'm sorry. It takes vulnerability to repent. Vulnerability leads to connection, which leads to joy. Peacemaking is part of the process of connection with other people. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 11 is like it. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Read this quote this week from Tim Keller. He said, being public about your faith simply means not hiding the wellspring of your life, not hiding who you truly are. Isn't it true that it, in this time that we find ourselves in, and actually in this community, that it requires some vulnerability and courage to admit that you're a Christian? I don't get that opportunity very often because people know I'm a pastor, so right away they just think I'm a weirdo. But there are some people that don't know what I do. And when that opportunity comes to actually share that, yeah, there's someone else that I live for before myself, there's someone that I need, his name is Jesus, to actually share that. There's always a little bit of a feeling of risk that if I share that, how will I, this person receive me? Might I be rejected? By the way, there's no advancement of the kingdom. There's no sharing the gift unless God's people are brave enough, vulnerable enough to share what matters to them. Those are the Beatitudes. Vulnerability is everywhere. It is a path to blessing. Now, not to appear like I'm trying to improve on Jesus' sermon because I could never do that, but I want to add to the list. Some of the disciples and others said the ways they describe vulnerability. In James chapter 5, verse 16, James is describing vulnerability with other people. If anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call to the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered on faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And then listen to this. 
Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's hard to imagine a riskier exposure than sharing your failures with another person. But it leads to connection, healing, power. God is so generous. We miss all the things he wants to share. How about the Old Testament tradition of lamenting our pain? It's been a theme this year. We've wanted you to lament every loss. We cry out to God. We get those negative emotions up and out towards God. They're meant for him. That's being vulnerable. Galatians chapter 6 says, carry each other's burdens. How could that happen unless someone is vulnerable and shares their burden? I need help. One of the hardest things for some people to say. They can't even ask their spouse for help. Here's another one. This sums up really the, the, the strength of vulnerability. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I think Paul is taking the Sermon on the Mount and he's describing it this way. So he's making it personal for himself. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He's talking about this struggle that he has. We don't exactly know what it is, but he dealt with it for years. Something that harmed him probably physically and emotionally because of this ongoing struggle. Verse nine, but the Lord, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about your weaknesses so that Messiah's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I mean, an amazing statement. When have you ever been taught that? We're taught that there is no strength in your weaknesses and your failures. The one broken in spirit understands this. I wonder if you have stories that make this verse real. When I am weak, then I am strong. I wonder if you have stories in your own life of your own weakness that then God did something. I get to share those. Um, I love it when other people share it with us. So the last few weeks we've been gone and uh, we've been able to catch up with some old friends from the past and this last week, we were with some, some friends that we hadn't been with for 10 years. And so there's a lot to get caught up on. And uh, they began to share with us just some, some marriage problems that they had gone through. And they, um, my buddy, the, the husband, said, yeah, I was going down the road, and I was even speaking to divorce lawyers, and I was imagining my life apart from my wife. They had both gotten to the place, given it an honest effort to actually try to heal things and, and work on things. And they had been in counseling and they'd done all the things that you're supposed to do, but they had both gotten to the place that they were resolved that there's no fixing this. Absolutely broken and weak. And then this is how they described it. Then God did blank. Then God, in the middle of the weakness, in the middle of the poverty, in the middle of the brokenness, as they were vulnerable to God sharing those things with them, then God did something. When Elise and I spent time with couples in premarital counseling, and we've now 
you know, counseled, I don't know, two or three dozen young couples, one of the things that we want to get across very clearly is that at some point in your future marriage, things will not be going well. In fact, it will be bad. And it's hard, we tell them this, it's probably hard to imagine that someday it will be hard to love the other person sitting next to you. So we just tell them, you just have to take our word for it. And they don't really believe us, but this is what we want them to hear. When that happens, besides thinking Brian and Elise were right and sending us a note reminding us of how right we were, all right, besides that, what you're supposed to do when that happens is you're supposed to ask for help. That burden, that struggle, that growth that is needed is not meant to be kept a secret. And it's meant to go beyond actually sharing that with God and getting God's help. You need to reach out to other people in your life. And then that leads to the next part of the conversation. If you are not a person creating vulnerable community, contributing to it, being a safe person for others, uh, sharing those things with others all along the way, it can get really hard to be vulnerable when you really do have a big problem. So there are people that often, they kind of helicopter into churches when things are bad and they wonder why they have a hard time connecting with people. It's because the relationship that needed to be built all of those years beforehand or those weeks beforehand that would actually carry them during that desert season have not been invested in. And churches can still come in and help, but we can't help the way we're supposed to. We need to rely on those relationships. And so we tell the couple, make sure that you are living in a way that there are other couples in your life that know what's going on. Open and vulnerable, God can do amazing things. Then God... Now, the reason why this is hard, as we mentioned earlier, is just because we have this instinct for self-protection. It's an instinct. We want to avoid risks. Uh, Keeping it secret feels safe. It really does feel safe. Being vulnerable feels risky. It always does. Things like courage and faith and vulnerability, they have a feeling, and it's called risk. That's what it feels like. No one likes that feeling. And so there are just emotions that take place that try to hold us back, but there are other barriers that keep us from being vulnerable people, people who are willing to protect and hide. Let me mention a few of them. One is pride. It's a struggle that we all have, and pride can show up in different ways. The essence of pride says that I don't need any help from anyone. And you can see how dangerous that would be with God. That's why it's confusing to live in relationship with God if we're not in a relationship where we're coming to him saying, I need some help. I'm poor in spirit. But there are other people that believe, and this happens to all of us, that we don't need others. This is the lie of the modern world. This is part of the problem with all of our freedom and all the money we have, is it can create the illusion that we can thrive in life apart from meaningful relationships. It's one of the downsides of us being so rich, having so much money. No one likes to think of themselves as rich, but they're the richest culture in the history of the world. That gives us power. And what happens is come this, this illusion comes with it, which is, hey, I can thrive in life apart from God and apart from other people. That is pride. Pride can show up in the midst of conflict, and it keeps people from being vulnerable because I don't know if you've ever been in a conflict with someone where the apology that comes back to you is, I'm sorry you felt that way. Or I didn't mean it that way, right? When you go to someone and you're vulnerable enough to say, this hurt me, and that's what comes back in response, that 
That's pride. That's keeping that person from the, the, the blessings of being vulnerable themselves. Both are going to be harmed. The, the relationship's going to be hard to heal when that continues to be what comes back to you. So pride shows up everywhere. We have to deal with that. But the number one reason I think we hide and protect ourselves is shame. Shame is that common experience that every person has, every person knows, but it's usually private. Isn't that weird? Like we've all felt it, but we rarely share it. It's the big secret we know. Everyone's got something, but no one knows mine. Shame communicates this to us. People have described it this way. I haven't just, just done something wrong. I am wrong. But this is what it really communicates. I am not worthy of love and connection. It's relational. It's the opposite of joy. I am not worthy of love and connection. Counselor I like to read, his name's Dan Allender. He says a lot about shame. This is how he describes it, how it works. It always involves some type of exposure. So it always involves some type of vulnerability, whether just the world exposes you, a mistake exposes you, you do it yourself, but it can even go so far. This is how insidious shame can be. We can even imagine being exposed and feel shame. So it doesn't even have to be a real experience. We can just imagine someone finding this thing out about us and feel shame. Now, here's what happens when we experience that judgment or anticipate someone else's shame and judgment. We begin to label ourselves as repulsive, unforgivable, gross. When that happens, shame ruins the delight and honor that you might feel about yourself in this relationship or with someone else. I think this is why it's really hard to have long-lasting, meaningful relationships today in our culture because we don't know how to deal with shame. Here's the last thing that happens in a relationship when shame is allowed to persist because it's kept in the dark. It will eventually, and Dan Ellerder says, with contempt for you, yourself, the relationship or the other person. You will disdain yourself or the person because of the exposure and how you feel. There are people who love God but disdain God because they believe that he looks at them with shame. It's unbearable to think that he looks at us and thinks that we're gross and disgusting. We just stick with him because we think we're supposed to. We love him because he's, he's different and great. But deep down, there is this disdain for the relationship. Here's another thing that's a common struggle, and it has to do with men. Women are a lot better at relationships, in my opinion. I think one reason is they have an easier time being vulnerable. Men, we, we really suck at it. We are not good at talking about our weaknesses. We're not good at about talking about our losses. I mean, just think of it this way. When is the last time you described a mistake you made at work to someone else? That's vulnerability. We're not good at sharing our fears, our shame, our sin. We struggle with it all the time. 
Studies continue to tell us that most men in America, men, so not high school age, men in America, most men say they don't have one single friend that they trust sharing things with. Most men don't have a single close friend. There's a lot of darkness. And there's not a place to bring that into the light when you don't have those relationships. Man, this is one of the best things we can do for ourselves and our families is to be the type of man that is vulnerable in appropriate ways with certain people in your life. And you've got to have guys in your life who get to hear it. Tim Keller has got another great quote that I'll never forget. He said, someone... At least one person has to have a hunting license in your heart. Someone has to have permission, okay? Don't expect them to do it. Invite them in. Give them permission. Someone has to have permission to wander around and look at things and to know what's happening. And if you don't have a single friend, the place to start is with one all right. And usually what happens is our relational skills increase. It makes it easier for us to connect with more men, and we begin to build what Jim Wilder calls our pack that helps us live healthy. All right, let me give you a few steps to take just as a way to apply this message about vulnerability in your own life. And then I want you to I want us to watch a video that I'm gonna set up here in a moment. But here are three kind of takeaways from this message. First of all, Nurture as honest of a relationship with God that you can right now. Now, what I mean by that is take a risk. Share a little bit more with him. We're told, just generally, that abuse is such a huge part of our culture today. And if you just apply the statistics to the number of people in this room, over half of the people in this room have been abused somehow at some point in their life. Most often by someone that they trust. Have you ever shared that with God? It will feel risky. It might lead to more pain. There are things that we all have that we can take that next step of risk and live more open, more honest with God. Number two, we need to be the kind of people that invest in vulnerable community. Be the person that can hold that space for someone else. Be the kind of person that can share your failures. Tell your friends how you're not doing well. Make the, make the food, have the dinners, have people in your house, sit around a fire, go out for coffee, go on a walk, and share how you're struggling. I think one of the things that you'll find is that vulnerability actually creates more vulnerability, so when you're open, other people are much more willing to be open themselves, and so then you begin to have this, like, this momentum of connection. And here's the last thing. Use discretion and wisdom when sharing with others, okay? Not everyone is ready for what you are about to share. Not everyone needs to hear everything. I cringe when I see people being wildly vulnerable on Facebook. 
What they actually need is they need a friend sitting across the table that will hold their hand when they begin to cry. Or they need to share it with their spouse who can hold them. They need to share it with someone they'll see the next day. But we need to be wise how and when we share this. Boundaries are a part of being vulnerable. Doesn't mean everyone gets to see everything all the time. But it means we learn to have discretion and be wise. And and a great place to start is to start with, with the Lord and to start with one friend or the person you trust the most, your spouse, parent, sibling, you start there. All right, so those are things that just help us. And, um, you know, what we're wanting to do during the whole series is we're wanting to present the upside-down kingdom in a way that people know, like, this is what leads to blessing. God is generous. God is loving. He wants us to taste right now the kingdom. It is here, but not yet. But that experience of joy is what he wants all of us to have right now. In the midst of all the other emotions and experiences that we have, God wishes to share joy with us. Joy comes from connection and relationships, and there is no intimacy. There is no connection without learning to be vulnerable. And so for those of you that have been hurt in the past, you put yourself out there again. I know it's going to be hard to do, but hear the Lord's invitation all over again. It's the path to joy. And, they, and I'll tell you what, the Lord is safe and there are people um, in this church that are safe that you can share those things with. And so take that risk. All right, as I close today, I wanted to show you a scene from a um, TV series called The Chosen. Anyone a fan of The Chosen yet? All right, I'm glad I get to tell the rest of you about it. Most shows about Jesus are cheesy, creepy, and weird, okay? He just usually looks weird. He usually looks like a giant wimp to me, and I don't like that. That's what I've liked about those other movies. Other people like, dislike different things. The Chosen is the most amazing portrayal in art, video, music of Jesus that I've ever experienced. And one of the things that's amazing about The Chosen is you see the humanity of Jesus and the way that he's able to connect to people in their struggle and dysfunction in different ways. And I'm going to show you one scene from one of the episodes that captures what Jesus is like to be vulnerable with, that he is safe, that there's never been a day, and this is just kind of, you know, a picture of a reality, and this reality, there's never been a day that God has looked away from you, there's never been a day that he's cringed, there's never been a day that he's not available to you, there's always a place for you at his table, he is always pursuing you. This scene that we're going to see with the woman at the well captures that. Now, I want you to try to imagine yourself as you watch this. This is what it's like with Jesus to be open and honest, to be vulnerable, to be exposed in such a way that God will bring about connection and healing and joy will be the result. So as easy as it is to just enjoy the video, I want you to try to imagine yourself in it. And I wanna pray and just give us this this moment together as we watch. So Father, we, we thank you for today. We thank you for your kingdom. We thank you, God, that it is about the renewal of all things. We thank you it's about your good order. But Father, I pray that we might have the courage, the faith to take the risk to to say yes to the things you're inviting us into. And today we ask for courage to be vulnerable. As we watch this video, Father, I pray that we might imagine ourselves 
face to face with you having a similar kind of conversation. How might that change us? Pray, Father, you'd make this just a meaningful time for all of us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give me a drink. Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd, I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would, except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. 
exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me, I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. <sighs> and you know these things, because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promise? I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs>